All right, so we continue our journey through Philippians today, and we find ourselves at the beginnings of Philippians chapter 2. And this is, in all honesty, where Philippians starts to get a a little fun. Really not so fun, more really hard. (laughs) Chapter 1 was more than a little uncomfortable as we considered how the gospel helps us overcome our past circumstances, how the gospel can help us overcome our present suffering. But as Paul pivots to chapter 2, what we find is he turns from everything that is external to what is internal. And he turns and he brings the focus to our hearts. And he begins chapter 2 with probably what is the defining virtue of the Christian life. It's an idea that is so present throughout scriptures, but it's something that each and every one of us struggles immensely with. As he moves from the end of chapter 1, he began this concept in chapter 1, verse 27, of the unity of the body. In the end of chapter 1, he talks about the unity of the body as it goes out into the community. And then as he pivots to chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4, he turns and he talks about how the body should function at home. How the body functions not out in the community, but how the body should function with each other right here. And if we think about it, if we really want to know what a person is like, we don't ever find that out unless we go to their home unless we go to where they live and we see how they live. We see how they behave with those who are closest to them. That is where we really learn about the heart of a person. And the church is no different. If we want to know about the heart of the church, we have to come into the church and not just into our worship services, but into the life of the church and we find out what it's really like. Because it's our interpersonal relationships that reveal the nature of our hearts and our consideration for one another. Verses 1 to 4 are instructions that Paul gives the Corinthians as they move forward in their journey for how they're supposed to engage in their relationships. And so let's read Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4 together. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And what we see in these four verses is Paul first gives us what the basis of our unity is supposed to be, and then he moves on to the essence of our unity, and then he finishes with what the expression of of our unity should be. And we're going to walk through those three things today. And it begins with this word, if. 
Therefore, if you have any, and if is one of those words that could induce doubt in us, but it's not at all what Paul's doing. What he's really doing is he's making a statement of assumption. He's making this assumption about things that he knows are true, things that he knows are self-evident. It's kind of one of those things. It's like, I know this is true about you, so I'm just going to kind of remind you about what I know is true. It's this gentle reminder that he gives him about what they have in common. And he says, if you have received any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, if you have received any So if I had $101 bills and I walked around and I gave you one of them, would you have any? You would. Even if I kept the other 99, you would have any. It's not about how much we have. It's not about who has more. It's not a competition. What Paul is saying is if you have any And he says, and I know you do. Because if you know Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you must have encouragement. If you're part of the body, you must have received love. If you have unity with Christ and his spirit, then the tenderness and compassion that God has shown to us should be part of our lives. He says, if you have any, not if you have a lot or if you have an abundance, if you have any. And he says, I know you do. Because if you're in Christ, you must. And if you don't, if you're saying, nope, I got none of that, doesn't apply to me, don't go on to what's next, then the question he's asking is, are you really in Christ? Because if you're in Christ, you have any. He's saying, of course you do. If any. And what he's laying out is these underpinnings of the Christian life that create the impetus for them to move forward in their journey. The underpinnings of the Christian life that create the impetus for us to move forward in our journeys. And the combined effect of these four is powerful. It's the common experience of grace that we receive from God. It's our common shared experience. It's the accumulation of our experiences that creates a responsibility. Creates a responsibility in the motive for what should be our right actions. And so he says, if you have any, and I know you do, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. And that's the key phrase in the passage. Right, if you have any, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. 
Right? He had joy from them. We talked about that all through chapter 1. This is a letter that he's writing to his friends. He has great joy because of them. He has joy because of his relationship with them. He has joy because of their partnership in ministry. But he says that's not enough. He says, I want you to make my joy complete by being like-minded. And he's basically saying, hey guys, make daddy proud. Do the right things. And how do we do it? By being one. By standing together in unity. Unity of mind, spirit, and action. Like-mindedness. It's more than just a way of thinking. It begins with how we think. But then it permeates our heart, our love, and should lead to our actions. Like-mindedness involves our intellect, our wills, and our emotions. It's a comprehensive outlook on life that should affect our attitudes and our behaviors, our values, and our ambitions. This is Christian unity. It's not identical lifestyles or personalities, but it's an identical purpose. It's an identical love and a value. What he's saying is, be together, literally unanimous in contemplating the same things. He's saying, be like-minded. If you have any, doesn't matter how much, if you have any, be like-minded. Don't just be like-minded when you have it all, but be like-minded if you have any. And then he moves on to the expression of that like-mindedness. He says, have the same love, have the same spirit, have the same mind, have the same love for God, for each other, and for our community. Have the same purpose, value the same thing. You should be driven towards furthering the cause of Christ. We should have the same endeavors and the same goals. And he says, have the same behaviors. And he really starts to turn the screws on them. He says, if you have any, then be like-minded. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. So if you have any, if I even give you one, then you get to do nothing. Nothing. Or you don't even get to do one. Right? If it's a scale of conceit and self-focus on one to a hundred, he says not even one is okay. You can't look at your neighbor and say, well, I'm more focused on others than they are, so it's okay. A little bit for me is okay. No, he says do nothing. Do nothing. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, 
no matter what you're part of, do nothing. No selfishness, no vanity, no conceit, no self-seeking, no egotism, no pride, no self-imagined excellence, no rivalry over money or position or status. Do nothing. And what he's doing is he's drawing a contrast for them with two groups of people that we have to understand that the Philippians were surrounded by. And it's really, in all honesty, not that different from the groups we find ourselves surrounded in. He's drawing the distinction between first the Judaizers, so that was a group of people who was trying to force Jewish custom and law on top of the Christian church. For them, it was all about form and function. Do you dress the right way? Do you look the right way? Can we check all the right boxes? Follow all the right external rules? And he says, that's not what it's about. And he's also saying, don't be like those in your community. Those, the Greeks in this case who would self-exalt themselves based on their worldly wisdom and their success. He says, don't play those games, guys. Don't do anything out of self-promotion, religiously or worldly. Don't do anything that's self-seeking. But instead, in humility, Value others above yourselves. This is what you're not supposed to do, guys, but this is what you are supposed to do. Don't look out for your own interests, but look at the interests of each other. Count others as excelling over yourself. Consider others as smarter than you, perhaps. Have a realistic appraisal of yourself and others. Recognize the intrinsic value in worth that exists in every human being because they are all made in the image of God. Count them better than ourselves. It says have a modest opinion of yourself and a more high opinion of those who are around you. And if we haven't gotten to this point and you don't think this is hard, then either you're not human or we haven't actually considered the weight of this command that Paul gives us. Because this concept of humility and putting others above ourselves is what the gospel is all about. It's what Christ did for us. And it's the hardest thing for us to do. The greatest obstacle to a life of harmony in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our church lives is the absence of humility. It's not an issue of hate. It's an issue of self-love. It's an attitude of conceit and selfishness. 
that runs completely counter to the attitude that Christ has and that Christ wants us to have. He said, if any, then do nothing. And we all fail at it every day. And if we're going to have a church that's attractive to our community and make progress for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we cannot cultivate spirits that are seeking our own ways. We can't cultivate a spirit that is looking at our own progress and celebrating our own achievements, but we need to look at the progress and the achievements of others. What we need to do is turn a focus on ourselves and recognize that even our good deeds typically have pretty mixed motives. And what we have to learn to do is look at others and look at their deeds and assume that they have the best motives. Recognizing that many of our own actions come from the worst motives. How do we do this? How do we practically practice humility? A couple thoughts. When we think about criticizing somebody, maybe we should start by criticizing ourselves. Because when we start with ourselves and we start with our own shortcomings, when we start with an understanding of who we are before God, we're going to find we have a lot of grace when we lift our eyes up and look at those around us. When we decide to concentrate on our own bad points and other people's good points, instead of starting with their bad points and our good points, when we start with our own bad points, we have plenty of capacity to see other people's good points. That's what Christ was talking about when he says, take the plank out of your own eye first before you try and pull the speck out of your brother's eye. And this is what Paul is driving at, as he turns the lens from the external world to our internal hearts. He says, you guys need to have an approach to life, an approach to ministry that doesn't begin with yourself. He says, consider the others. Look out for their interest. Look out for their growth. Be asking, what can I do to help them, not what can they be doing to help me? Because the thing is, and here's the trick, it's the trick in any relationship for it to function well. If we worry about the other person, believing they are going to worry about us, and they actually do worry about us, everybody's needs get met. It's the fundamental of a marriage working. It's the fundamental of a friendship working. It's the fundamental of any relationship working. Look out for the other's interests. And if we each do that, the whole thing will work. When we think of ourselves as the most important person in the equation or the relationship, then it's really difficult to put this whole concept into action. If we say, I love you, and I is the most important word in that phrase, there's not a lot of room left for you. 
He says, don't operate in pride. Don't walk in arrogance. There should be no rivalry or conceit among you. Instead, constantly live your lives at work, at home, at school, at church, wherever you find yourself. Consider others more significant than you. It's the theme that ties the Bible together. It's the essence of our Christian faith and our Christian walk. Because then he pivots to verse 5, which is where we're going to pick up next week. He says, your attitude must be the same as Christ Jesus. And so we need to pause and we need to take some time. And we need to ask ourselves where the evidences of pride are in our lives, in our marriages, with our children, with our co-workers, with those sitting in the room around us. Where are we walking in entitlement with God or with others? Where are we acting selfishly? Who are we considering ourselves better than? What are we doing to hinder the cause of Christ? And I'd suggest if we don't actually know what the answers to those three questions are, then we haven't done enough self-examination of ourselves. And Paul would suggest we would be full of vain conceit. And we are. Because we're all sinners. We're all sinners who need a savior. And we need to work at that process daily. And so we're going to put a prayer up on the screen. And I'd like us to just take time to consider. I'm going to pray it for us. And then we're just going to sit in silence. And consider where it is we are putting ourselves above others. Where it is we are operating out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work through me and guide me so that I will have the mind of Christ in all I do. Help me that I will not do anything in the flesh, nor out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I pray that you would help me to remain humble and to never consider myself better than others. I pray that you would provide me the means and the desire to look after the interests of others as well as my own interests. I pray that I would have a godly attitude in all my actions and decisions and that your love would flow through me so that I would be a blessing to you and to everyone around me.